And we are in Acts chapter 8, and we'll be starting in verse 26. So if you want to open your Bibles there, and please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have of being here together. Lord, I just pray that you speak very clearly to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Hey, I'm glad that you're here. My name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. Um, man, it just feels like low energy today. I don't know what's going on in here. Um, we need to kind of, I don't know if we need to jump around or what. Um, if you're new, welcome. Um, we have been kind of journeying through the book of Acts together for a little bit. Next week, we'll actually start our Easter series, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, as I was thinking through this passage, it, it's fun because the last few have been pretty intense, right? I mean, I've had people like email me and they're like, man, it's really wrecked me a bit, which is good. Um, and then we get to passages like this where it's like, man, this is really just cool, fun stuff to look at. Not quite as intense. Um, but as I was praying through it and just thinking about it this week, um, I was thinking about the call that we all have to evangelize. Um, the opportunities that we're given on a daily basis that maybe we don't even pay attention to. Um, and I've told stories similar to this before. I seem to get those opportunities it's, uh, in, in the weirdest times, especially when we're on the T. Um, I find myself sitting on the blue line, right, going into the city or coming back um, into downtown, and uh, it, it seems like the Lord will often put something on my heart or put a person right in front of me that I need to talk to, Right? And I've told you about my failures, where um, I, the one where the lady um, was crying and she got on the train and 
we were pretty much the only ones on the train and I was looking across at her and I knew the spirit was asking me to go talk to this woman and I just refused to do it. I had all these excuses of, man, this is awkward. I'm, I'm not like a little guy and she was kind of small and it would be weird for me to kind of go over and sit by her and you know, I got off the train and had to repent and, and just prayed that the Lord obviously excuse my disobedience. Um, but I also have some victory stories when it comes to stuff on the train. And this week, I had one of those. So I was actually sitting next to um, a lady who sat down next to me and opened her Bible, which, well, I thought it was a Bible at least. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I kind of started looking over her shoulder and I realized it wasn't actually a Bible. It was from a different belief system. And um, she was struggling trying to read it a little bit. And she, I don't, for whatever reason, she actually looked up at me, and I guess she saw me staring at her Bible. I hope she thought I was staring at her Bible. And she said, um, do you know what this means? And I said, I have no idea what that means, but I do know what something else means. And for whatever reason, she decided to listen to the gospel. Um, whether she chose in her heart to accept it at that moment, I don't know, but she heard truth. Um, and when I got off the train, I thought, man, it's really interesting. I wonder how many times the Lord has put somebody in front of me like that, that I've blown it. Um, I think these opportunities are way more common than we can possibly imagine. Um, and the question is, how in tune are we to the Spirit and His leading and His guiding to take advantage of these opportunities? Um, and there's all kinds of excuses, right? Like I'll hear people say, well, I don't feel like I know enough or I'm a brand new believer. Um, it's not hard just to make a friend, right? To just turn next to somebody and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, well, let me tell you about my journey, my testimony. Um, the other thing that I found fascinating is he always seems to throw those people at me at the weirdest times. You know, it's those moments when either I'm really busy, I'm late for a meeting, like I'm already late, which is my issue already, right? So I'm late, and then here's the Lord putting, you know, putting somebody in front of me that needs to be talked to or, or just loved on, um, it, it always seems to be inconvenient to my time schedule. Like, I haven't had these moments where I'm like, hey, Lord, you know what? I've got some free time, like, you know, 12 to 12.30, and I'm going to be sitting out in the park. Would you just bring somebody over to me? Um, that's rare, it seems like, right? And thinking through what Philip is getting asked to do here, kind of paint this scene from last week where, you know, the gospel has come to Samaria, like people are being saved. This, they had this confrontation with Simon, right, the magician, um, and, and the issues that went along there, um, but we're watching this church grow. Peter and John have come. They've baptized people. The Holy Spirit has come in, and now they've left, and there's just this energy, unlike in this room, what is, you know, happening in, in Samaria, right? Um, there's this energy, and it's at this moment, which I think is odd, that Philip is actually going to be removed from the scene. He's the one that started this, right? He was the one that kind of picked up, went in, got this going, spoke to people, ended up calling the apostles over, hey, you've got to see what's happening, and now he's going to get removed. Um, it's interesting how God works. And so let's just kind of dive in. I want to look at this kind of you know, it's not going to take very long today. We've got, it's a pretty simple story, but there's a lot here. Um, let's just start at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Um, the first thing that hits me here is that Philip was willing to go. 
Because oftentimes I think when we're pouring into a group of people or a group of friends or and we're watching the Lord move and then he says go, you're like, what? Like, why? We, are you not aware of what's going on here? Like, this is good stuff. You sent me here, things are happening. I had an experience like this. So my first full-time ministry, um, so I kind of went into ministry late in life and Christy and our family moved to upstate New York. We worked for this camp for inner city kids from Washington Heights, Harlem area. It was awesome. Things were going great. Um, and then we moved from there, and I was working at this place called Transformation Life Center where I met Pastor Phil, and I mean, things were good. And then there was a church planter that I met, and we were getting ready to plant the church in New York. And then I get the, and, and it's just like, man, it, things can't go any better. Like, the, the spirit is moving. God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus is being spread in New York. We're seeing amazing things happen. And at that moment, I get a call from my home church in California that says, we're really struggling. Would you mind coming back and helping us out? And I'm like, what? No. <laughs> like, like do, you, do you not see what's going on here? You sent us here, and look what's happening. And uh, I remember sitting down with the guy that I was going to plant with, and he looks at me, and he's like, man, I'm really disappointed in you. And I'm like, what? He goes, the sending church has asked you to come back and help them. You're not even going to pray about it? And I'm like, oh, fine. So we prayed about it. Long story short, two months, three months later, we were back in California. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, are you kidding me? Um, God moves his people, and often it doesn't seem to make sense, right? Like, I knew I was supposed to be in the East Coast to plant, so what am I doing back in California? Um, I think, I wonder if Philip went through some of that. Now, knowing Philip's personality, he probably didn't, but knowing me, I would have been, like, probably complaining. Um, and knowing some of you in here that have the spiritual gift of complaining, I'm sure you would have been complaining too, right? And so, um, I, I was thinking about some of these things, like, okay, many people have been saved, right? You've got this amazing baptism service took place. They were probably showing videos of testimonies and everything. Peter and John have come. You, you know, he, he had this excuse of, well, we've got these people. They know Jesus now. Who's going to disciple them? Like, shouldn't I be here to kind of get this movement, move, you know, going? Um, I've got meetings, God. You know, I, I'm gonna, you know, I've got to text all these people now and cancel what I was planning on doing today because now you're sending me off somewhere else. I guess when an angel shows up, it, it changes things a little bit, right? I mean, people have said this all, and, I, and I've said this so many times to you. They're like, man, if I saw an angel, then I would know what to do. And I'm like, well, yeah, you would, but I promise you, you don't want to see one, right? Because every time somebody sees one, they're freaked out. They're scary. Um, he gets told by an angel, go. He says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Um, if you know anything about biblical history, there were kind of two major roads that came in and out of Jerusalem. And this specific one, without going into major detail, is kind of a road to nowhere. <laughs> I mean, so not only is he saying, hey, I want you to leave this place that this movement of, of God is, is just phenomenal and you're watching all of this happen and Jesus is being glorified, but I want you to go to the road that kind of leads to nowhere as far as you guys are concerned. And in fact, Luke makes, kind of exaggerates this a little bit and he says, this is a desert place. Like, great, thanks. You get to go to the desert where there's no one gonna be. Like, what are you asking me to do here, Lord? You just want me to walk to this road in the desert, yes, okay. Um, Philip's willingness to go was pretty cool. 
I mean, how many times has the Lord asked you to do something that would have felt like desert? You know, I, I think in, in our Christian walk and in, as lives attempting to live like Jesus, um, there are these moments when we're asked to go into the desert. But what I have found in Scripture, we see Jesus in the desert, we see David in the desert, and you can list tons of people, that Moses, right, that have been sent to the desert. It seems like in the desert where some amazing things happen. I think oftentimes when we find ourselves in the desert, the issue isn't necessarily that God's not moving in really powerful ways. It's our attitude while we're there, right? But Philip gives us this great example of, okay, I'll go. It sounds weird. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to be doing when I get there, but I'm willing, so let's go. Um, the other thing that I thought really interesting here is Philip, if you, if you looked at, you know, we talked about how, why he went to Samaria, and I think that he was probably banking on the words of Jesus um, that are recorded in Acts 1.8, where he says, you know, you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And as Saul is persecuting the church in Jerusalem. It begins to spread out, and, and the gospel's going with it. I have a feeling that Philip's like, hey, Jesus said Samaria, so off we go, right? And so here he is, kind of doing his thing. Um, he was being obedient to what Jesus had told him to do before. Now he's leaving by the instructions of an angel to go do something else, and where he was going to have this mass impact in Samaria, which he has, it's going to be this kind of one-on-one -on -one connection here in a minute. Um, ministry oftentimes can be this huge, big thing where it's exciting, and um, you know we're we're seeing God move in 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 ways that are just beyond anything we can imagine. But I would venture to say that most of us experience on a daily basis these intimate moments that are just as powerful and you may not get all of it. i mean i know that there's people actually sitting in here today because some of you who attended church at the well spoke to them about the gospel and they came um, that it doesn't feel all that sexy doesn't feel huge right but it's it's awesome the Lord uses some powerful ways. And I think the big, the big thing here is we've got to see that God's constantly moving. And one of the things I, I say with Church at the Well a lot is we really want to kind of look around and go, where is God moving currently and how do we join him in that? God's seeking, right? He's seeking his people. Thank God it's not all dependent upon us. We just have to join what he's doing, and we get this picture of him commanding people to go to Samaria. Why? Because he knew that in Samaria people were going to get saved. And now he's going to look at Philip and say, hey, I've got a plan. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking this individual. I've set everything up for you. Um, he just needs to hear it. Um, God's constantly working in the background. He, you know, this famous passage that I think people use all the time for evangelism, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? This is God talking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. But the picture is God's knocking. Like right now, you may be thinking about an individual and you're like, man, I, the, the odds of this individual ever coming to know the Lord are, are mute. Like I don't even see the point anymore. 
but you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know how God is prepping that soil. Sometimes we're the ones that come in and, you know, we're going to end up in the desert and we're, we're just, okay, like the lady that I met on the train, I'm hoping that a seed was planted. And I pray that the next person that she meets will come in and water that seed and eventually the Lord will regenerate her heart. But it takes people that are going to plant the seed, but also takes people like this, where, I mean, God's literally going to, like, take a huge beach ball and just be, like, slow pitch to you, right? Um, but he's moving all the time, all the time. In the midst of, you know, our culture where it just feels like it's heavy and weighted and we're going through all kinds of issues, we have to be confident that the Lord's moving. And he's moving in, in people's lives constantly. So we got this moment where Philip has been told by the angel, you're going to go do something different, um, but the stage is going to be set. So Philip goes and says, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. I mean, this isn't I mean, this, this is like bigger than a beach ball, right? This is the slowest pitch that you'll ever have to hit. Um, but I mean, when we really look at this, he's, he's a high official um, in Ethiopia. He's, he's the treasure bearer of the queen. <laughs> um, pretty high-ranking person. You're going to have to be somebody that they trust pretty well if you're going to manage their treasure, right? Um, we learn a little bit about him. We know that he's Ethiopian. Obviously, that means that he's from a the Afri you know, Africa. Um, in ancient days, this was an area called Cush. Um, one of the fascinating things, just kind of as an aside, is if you were to keep reading Isaiah, you get to Isaiah 46, which is possible that he read it. There's a promise in there that the gospel is going to come to the land of Cush. It'd be interesting if he had read that. Um, it says that he's a eunuch, which makes sense. Um, Typically, they would perform that um, in order to prevent um, males from intercourse with royalty. And sometimes this was done voluntarily so that they could get the position. Sometimes it was done by force. You just never know. Um, if this guy was probably the treasure bearer, at some point he probably, history would tell us that he was raised up into a high level in this queen's government and he was offered this position, and part of the requirement was to become a eunuch. That's a quite a big decision. Um, and so we've got this man who, it said, well, we know it also says that he's coming from Jerusalem to worship. He went to Jerusalem to worship. So we can kind of infer some things here. He's probably a God-fearing Gentile. Something has enamored him with the Jews. Um... He says, man, I don't necessarily know everything that's going on here maybe, but there seems to be this belief system there. I'm gonna go, I want to go check it out. Um, he, he'd probably find himself in a unique position based on the culture. Eunuchs were not allowed to enter the temple at all. So he couldn't go worship in the temple. So maybe he ended up at a synagogue. I don't know. I don't know if his expectations were, I mean, he would have been a foreigner, obviously in a foreign land. Um, with rules and regulations upon him that he's not going to be able to worship to the greatest extent that maybe he had dreamed. Could have ended up in one of these small synagogues. Heck, maybe it was the synagogue of the freedmen, right, where Philip came from. And he's worshipped. He's 
somehow acquired a scroll of Isaiah, leaving Jerusalem on his way back to his homeland on this road that by ancient you know, standards basically leads to a desert. It takes a long time to get anywhere. Um, he's on a chariot, which is interesting. Chariot, I mean, very few people actually rode in chariots. And when you think about modes of transportation, most people walked, right? Elderly would typically ride a donkey if they had one. Um, soldiers would take a horse. And then if you had a lot of money, then you could go by chariot. And if you can picture a chariot, it was, I mean, this one obviously held more than one person. It looks like you're seated in it. So this isn't like a chariot that's built for war. It's a chariot that's built for transportation. So it's being pulled by a team of animals. Um, the eunuch sitting inside of it, reading this scroll. He's got a driver, because at some point he's going to reference the driver. So he's extremely influential, extremely wealthy, and extremely curious. Um, it says that he's, like I said, he's reading the scripture, Right? Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. I love this. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Okay, I try to always picture the movie version, right? Chariots don't move slow. So I picture this. Philip gets to the road and he's like, all right, I'm here. And then the chariot goes screaming by. And then God goes, there it is. Go get it. I mean, it says he didn't walk up to it. It literally, I mean, even if you study the original Greek here, it looks like the dude had to run. <laughs> like, I picture God laughing. Like, there was your appointment. Um, I, I, I don't know. You want to turn this into a fitness thing? I guess if you're going to evangelize, maybe you should start running a little bit because you never know what's going to happen, right? But God's like, there it is. Go. And so Philip's running, right? And he runs, and whether through that, maybe he, I don't know, he could have been really slow. I don't know if the spirit kind of gave him extra speed or whatever. I picture him being a slow guy. I don't know why. But he's running and he's like, man, I can't believe how quick I'm running. And he gets up next to the chariot and he's listening. And he, I mean, I kind of, I'm so, such a nerd in this, I guess. Because I picture like him running up and, you know, you're getting the view of the camera from inside the chariot. And the guy kind of looks over and sees the guy running next to him. And then kind of fades back <laughs> as the chariot pulls forward. And then he comes up again. And he's listening to what's going on in the chariot. And Philip recognizes that it's Isaiah. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. Of all the passages that he could be reading, this is it. And he runs up to it. And he gets right next to it. And he's like, do you understand what you're saying, what you're reading? And the guy's trying to have a conversation with him. And he's like, fine, just so, stop. Stop the chariot. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Oftentimes, it's work, Right? I mean, even sometimes when God throws the slow pitch, you still got to have a bat in your hand. Um, and sometimes fetching the bat's harder than hitting the ball, right? It's, it, there's, there's just moments where I think even if God says, hey, this is what I'm going to have you do, he doesn't often make it very easy. Or, like I said, he could just be laughing and going, man, this is awesome to watch. Um, I didn't know Philip was that fast. Look at him go. Um, and so we have this, this moment, and you picture it however you like, but he's, he's obeying, obedient. Okay, I'm going to run after this chariot. He gets up next to the chariot. He's listening to what's being read. And once again, we find that he's reading from Isaiah 53, which I'm going to read for you because it's short. And I've actually read this to you before. Um, but I think 
if we're going to talk about the gospel and, and we're going to understand how Philip chose to meet this guy right where he was, then we need to grasp what he's reading. So I, I'll read this quickly. Isaiah 53 is basically the gospel in the Old Testament, right? And the gospel's all over the Old Testament. The, Old Test- all the, the point of the Old Testament is to point to Jesus. Um, very first gospel, Genesis 3.15, right? Um, and from that point forward, the gospel's just being preached all throughout as people are just waiting for Jesus to come. But in, in certain places of Scripture, we get such a unique and detailed perspective of what this servant is going to look like, this individual who's going to come and, and die for our sins. And Isaiah 53 may be one of the most detailed of them all. That's what it says. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look on him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they met his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What a beautiful picture of what's to come. I mean, it's sometimes, every time I read this, it's, I know, God, it's it just, to think this was written hundreds of years before Jesus came onto the scene. Um, and of all the things for Philip to become r- literally running up on, I mean, that's why I said this is like one of the slowest pitches ever. This, the, the fact that he's sitting on this chapter of Isaiah, you know, and he's reading this part of the scroll, it's going to move, I mean, it allows Phil to basically move directly into a gospel conversation, which oftentimes can take us a long time, right, to get to that point. So as Philip's running, and he's listening, and he's hearing those words that Philip knows extremely well, why? Because he's probably used them before. I mean, when you think about how evangelism would work back then. They're dealing, the first people they're dealing with are Jews and educated Jews that understand the Torah, that understood the prophets. 
This would have been a passage that they're really familiar with to walk up to somebody who's reading Isaiah 53, who, who is Jewish, and says, hey, that thing that you're reading about, let's look at Jesus. You were actually here. How do they compare? Would have been pretty powerful. Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? What a great question. He's like, look, I'm reading this. We're seated, we're kind of doing our thing, and, and I'm reading this, and um, I'm not really getting it. Like, I, I get that somebody's going to suffer. I get that it's a big deal. But is, he, is the prophet Isaiah actually referring to, like, the pain that he's going to go through? Because Isaiah went through some. Or is he actually referring to somebody in the future? It says, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. What a, I mean, like I said, it's a perfect place to start, right? We're going to find that as we continue through the book of Acts, that every conversation that's had in the scripture about Jesus doesn't always start at the same place. It's one of the reasons why we have to be not only intentional and wise, but we have to be open <laughs> to go, man, okay, the last time I spoke to somebody about Jesus, this is how the conversation went, but this one is different. You know, if you're, if you're coming across somebody who has no understanding whatsoever that a God even exists, then to begin starting talking to them about Jesus from the gospel could be rough. You take them all the way back to the beginning. Paul did that right? I mean, Paul was the master of this. He would look at the culture that's around him and say, the message of Jesus can never change, but the method by which I deliver that message needs to change constantly based upon the culture. And there's this moment where he literally was, you know, preaching to some people, and they're interested, and he's like, hey, I was walking through your city, and I saw this statue of, of an unknown God. I want to tell you who that unknown God is. He actually uses their belief system in his favor. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. The, the beautiful thing about the gospel as a whole is since it's one long, continuous story from the moment that creation occurred up until the moment that Jesus comes back in glory, um, all we have to do is pick up from the story where it's most appropriate. And so, I mean, in this instance, I think Philip had it pretty easy. He was listening to what the guy was reading. But had he been reading a different passage, let's say he'd been reading in Genesis, and he read maybe the curse and got to verse, you know, chapter 3, verse 15, where he reads the first gospel, the proto-evangelum, and he's like, man, I don't understand this. Well, we're going to start here. <laughs> where are you at? That's where we're going to start. Philip begins to tell him the gospel. It's, uh, I, I mean, I don't know where everybody's at in the room, and, and maybe that's the first time you've actually ever heard Isaiah 53, but um, I would imagine that Philip's conversation went something like, hey, you've gotten obviously to a place in your life where you believe that there's a God, and he's been working in your life to get you to this moment. And so I'd say that to you. Maybe you're here today and you're 
trying to figure this thing out. Maybe you came because somebody offered you a free meal afterwards. Maybe you came because um, you just had nowhere else to go. Maybe you just wandered in. Maybe they just felt like, man, I just I want to go see what this thing's all about. You're still trying to figure out this Jesus thing. Well, like the Ethiopian eunuch, I can say with sheer confidence that you're here for a purpose. You were brought into this room for a reason. The Lord's working in your life. And it may be to hear this. That he created the world and we sinned against him. That our sin draws us away from him, which isn't really hard for us to understand. I haven't met anybody yet who says they're not a sinner or haven't sinned, right? I mean, we all do things that we wish we didn't. The problem is because he created us and we rebelled against him, he says that we're to be punished and the wages of that sin is death. And because we sin against an eternal God, it means eternal death. So even the, the idea of kind of eternity is one thing, but the other major issue that sin has caused in all of our lives is this inability to understand our purpose because we're separated from the one that created us. So we kind of live lives in this darkness where we're constantly searching for something. And maybe that's you. You've tried everything. You've tried doing it your way. You've tried money. You've tried success. You've tried failure. You've attempted to to take yourself down as low as possible. But there's something inside that's just, man, I'm still searching. The only way to figure out what that is, the only way to know your true purpose from, is to know who created you. And since our sin separates us from that creator, then we have a pretty major issue. If the wages of sin is death, and I have to die eternally, that creates a problem for me. There's got to be another solution. Am I just hopeless? And the answer is no, and this is where Isaiah 53 comes into play. Throughout all of history, from the moment of the fall when we blew it, up until the moment of his death, it was prophesied that an individual was going to come and pay that death penalty for us. And Isaiah 53 paints it very perfectly. Jesus shows up on the scene. He lives the life that I was supposed to live. And then in my place, he died the death that I deserve. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, proving that he was victorious over sin, Satan, and death forever. And you go, well, even if that's true, what does that mean for me? Him being alive, he sits, it says, it says in Scripture, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he offers to anyone who would choose to believe, anyone who would put their faith and trust in him, to accept the gift of him having paid the death penalty for you. I mean, in layman's terms, it's pretty simple. It comes down to, you can pay the death penalty yourself, or you can accept the death penalty that Jesus paid for you. And in doing so, Reap the benefits thereof. Because when the debt's paid, you can then be reconciled to your creator. 
And in that moment, you begin your true life's journey of understanding what your purpose is. And the main, main, main goal of that purpose, whatever it looks like, is to bring glory to Jesus where you'll find your greatest joy. What a gift. So I'd venture to say that Philip said something like that to the Ethiopian eunuch. That, hey, this this promise that you've been waiting for, it came to fruition in the person of Jesus, this individual that was being prophesied in the passage that you were reading. It really wasn't that long ago. (laughs) This movement has been happening. You came here at the perfect time. The Lord directed all of this to you. He set this up. He sent me here to say this to you. And as they continued their conversation, I would imagine that the Ethiopian unit came to a place where he said, what am I supposed to do? I believe it. So there's no mystical, magic liturgy that has to take place. It's, it's literally you just taking all of your faith and trust off of you and putting it on Christ. It's, and, it's, and we do this. This is he regenerates our heart. He literally takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He says the Spirit enters us at that moment, and we're new. Maybe, maybe you've heard the term born again, which sounds really cliche, but it's accurate. There's a lot of symbolism there. It's, man, I was born once, but I was born apart from God. I was born apart from my Creator. And now in Christ, it's almost like a new birth where I can understand who my Creator is and know what I'm here for. The Ethiopian eunuch obviously grabbed hold of that, and I would imagine there was some prayer that took place. He looked up at Philip at some point and said, this is what I've been waiting for. I now have purpose in my life. And, and, what and he probably said, what am I supposed to do at this point? And if it was us, we'd say, man, you need to start, get, start reading your scriptures. I mean, he probably told him, look, you're going to start reading this Old Testament that you've been reading for a long time with Jesus in mind. You're going to see him a lot in there. And he probably talked to him about baptism in the church. And as the Ethiopian eunuch was listening to this, we get to verse 36, and he says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized right now? I mean, this is, this is a life changed in the midst of a chariot because Philip was willing to be obedient and run, down, run it down. Baptism back then was a little bit different than it is now. You know, I, typically, if you're going to get baptized, it's going to be inside of a church. There's going to be some sort of, like, now the big thing is to get a big trough in here, right? Or if you're at a large church, there's, like, a baptismal in the back. Um, you, you get baptized in front of your kind of friends and family, and, you know, we've talked about baptism a ton. It's just an outward profession of what's already transpired inside of you. It's very symbolic. You go under the water identifying with Jesus' death, you come out of the water, identifying with his resurrection, and it kind of fulfills that symbolism that I talked about earlier, being born again. The only requirement to be baptized is that you believe, right? Back then, though, when they did baptisms in public, 
It was a little bit different. And some of you, like you know at Church at the Well, we do baptism in public. I don't know that I'll ever stop that. So we go out to the beach. Um, so this last, obviously we don't do it in the winter. <laughs> It'd be rough. We go out to the beach. Um, last, was it last summer, we baptized seven. What's fascinating about it is it feels like a little bit like it did back then. Because for those of you who were there, you noticed that a crowd gathered, not from our church, but a crowd of people who don't believe. Because they're going, what are these guys doing? Right? Curiosity. And it actually opened doors for us to, some of you had opportunities to talk about Jesus and what was going on as a result of the public baptisms. Back then, and it hadn't quite gotten to that point yet, but you've got to remember, when he was publicly professing faith in Jesus, there was persecution already going on. And he was taking a pretty bold stand. I'm sure if he was in Jerusalem right before this worshiping, he knew what was going on with Saul. He had heard about the stoning of Stephen. He had seen this weird movement that Philip just explained to him spread. Um, he may have even heard about what was going on in Samaria. It's Philip's obedience that allowed him to participate in God's plan for this eunuch. And I can't imagine the joy that, I mean, if Philip, like me, maybe have gone through Okay, I'm going to leave this, fine, Lord, I'm leaving, but this is a really cool place for me to be. I don't really want to leave this movement that's going on, but I'm going to go. I guarantee you, when that eunuch put his faith and trust in Jesus, Philip went, it was worth it. It was worth it. In fact, it, on, a, on a larger scale, and Philip, I don't know if Philip thought about this or not, but I told you, I think his motivation to go to Samaria first was initially re responding to what Jesus had told them. Do you remember what comes after that? To the outermost parts of the, of the world. Guess where this guy's headed back? To the outermost parts of the world. And he's going to be one of the most influential people in the government. He's going to take the gospel with him. The gospel is now entering Ethiopia or the land of Cush back then. What a, I mean, I guess if Philip was probably thinking about it later, he's like, wow, I actually got to see Jesus' movement and Jesus' words come to life right in front of me by seeing the gospel come to Samaria, by seeing all of these people saved, by watching an individual saved, and watching the gospel now go to the outermost parts of the world. And because we know the rest of the story, it's that, it's that movement <laughs> that God's going to go, okay, because of Philip's obedience, the gospel's now in the outermost part of the world, I need a representative that's going to go into those parts of the world, and I'm going to pick the guy that sent persecution to begin with. <laughs> and that's next week. Unbelievable, right? But it's his obedience. Um, as I was reading, thinking about that, this verse in Romans came to mind to me. So in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 to 15, it says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. One of the greatest privileges is being able to sit here and see all of your beautiful feet. You're like, my feet are ugly. I have really ugly feet. Thank God for shoes. You know Christ. He deems your feet beautiful because you've been commissioned to go and tell others about him. It's in those moments of obedience where the Lord is putting something on our heart to talk to an individual, to, to, to preach. That's those moments when we work backwards from this passage. You're sent. You preach. They hear. The Lord moves. They believe. And lives change. And on a greater capacity, the world changes. Then we get to this crazy thing, and it's just fun. I'm going to go through it quick. I think this is the first time, I, I don't know if Ray Bradbury, is that who this is? No, who's the creator of Star Trek? I'm not a Trekkie. Roddenberry, right? Gene. So I said Ray Bradbury, and, and whoever's a Trekkie's like, I hate you now. Um, I think this might have been the first transporter thing. I'm going to read this to you. <laughs> Verse 39, it always comes from the Bible. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. What do we do with that? Okay, this has never happened to me. I'm just telling you right now. I want it to. I'm like, I actually, I, you know, we were studying this passage. I talked to this lady on the train, and as soon as we were done, I was like, come on, beat me up, like right now. <laughs> like, send me somewhere else. And you go, is that really what this says? I'll read it again. <laughs> and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This is written in the present. <laughs> in every, every, every way possible, it's written in the present, right, without going into the details. It literally means when he literally pulled him up out of the water and they're looking at each other face to face, the Spirit of the Lord moved Philip. Gone. Boom. Out. I'm out. Peace out. Shalom. Gone. And the eunuch is probably like, that's new. Um, and so Philip's gone and it says, I don't, I, like, I thought, I think this is funny because once again, here's my movie version, right? The eunuch saw him no more. I was just talking to the dude. Gone. Gone. And I want to know how long he's out there. <laughs> is he coming back? Like, if I tell somebody about Jesus, is this what's going to happen to me? Like, I would have all these questions, right? Like, I want to go tell somebody now because I want this to happen to me. But he, I, I, I don't know what he did. He just looked in the water, probably awestruck, and it says, you know, finally he went on his way rejoicing, um, excited about what happened. And I would imagine that, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is something that he shared in his testimony. So this guy showed up, ran along my chariot, told me about Jesus, got me wet, and then disappeared forever. It's an interesting testimony. Um, but God does some pretty amazing things. Um, 
See, nothing's impossible. So what happened to Philip? Philip ends up in this town. However it's pronounced, it's very difficult. Um, I've heard it pronounced a hundred different times. I'm going to go with Azotus. Um, and already suddenly says no. Complaining? No, I'm kidding. Um, what's fascinating about this city is if you look up, look it up, it's actually the Philistines. Um, and if you know your Old Testament history, that's a pretty interesting place for Philip to be sent next. Right? So Philip ends up in this town of the Philistines. He passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And we're actually going to find him again there in Acts 21 um, with some daughters. Um, And one of the things I was thinking about with this is it's weird. Like Luke records all these amazing things that the Lord's going to do through Philip. They're phenomenal. I mean, from like running down a chariot to seeing the the Samaritans um, come to know Jesus Um, transporting him from one location to the next. Him getting to preach along the way, but we really don't hear any more about him. I think that's kind of how our life works. You know, it's, we're obedient, and we just keep being obedient, and sometimes it looks unbelievable, and it's worth like, and then sometimes it just feels like a trudge. Like, am I, really, is my, am I really making a difference? Like, I, I mean, I don't, obviously Philip wouldn't know this, but he's like, man, I'm not even getting written about anymore. There's no tweets going out. I'm not transported as much anymore. God, we used to be like this, and I don't know what's going on. But he just stayed faithful. When we find him in Acts 21, he's just... He preached his way to this town of Caesarea, and he's going to be there for a very long time doing ministry. So I don't, I don't know what God has for each one of us. I know that God moves his people. I know that God puts it on certain people's heart to reach a certain group of people. But the one commonality is this, whether in your evangelism process you become somebody like Billy Graham, Lord, lift up more Billy Grahams. Or you just become like Philip in Caesarea Philippi, grinding it out, being obedient on a day-to-day basis, telling people about Jesus. You never really get written about. What we have to remember is this. Jesus sees it all. I really believe that there's going to have these moments where when we get there, Jesus comes back and we're with him and, and we're getting to meet all these amazing people of the faith. Probably some of the most interesting stories and some of the people that are going to hear well done and good and faithful servant are going to be the ones we've never heard of. That just did unbelievable things. And uh, it would be fascinating to hear their stories if, man, they didn't even see a lot of people come to know the Lord. They just planted seed after seed after seed. I picture this, this guy who has been ministering in an area for a very long time, and you can pick a missionary because I'm going to basically tell a generic story that happens to many missionaries. And he goes into an area, and he's like Boston maybe, and he's preaching, and he's preaching, and he's preaching, and he's telling people about Jesus, and 
seems like the movement's staying slow, but people are coming to know a little bit. He gets enough just to kind of keep going. Everywhere he's going or everywhere she's going, she's telling him about the gospel, people. And maybe lives a life that doesn't feel like made a lot of difference in ministry. But I picture this moment in glory where that individual walks into maybe like something like a circus tent and then there's Jesus and it's filled with thousands of people. And they're like, what is this? And he says, these are all the people that you impacted. These are all the people that came to know Christ because of your faithfulness. See, we never know. Whoever initially in Jerusalem spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch had no idea that God was going to send Philip his way. But whoever spoke to him and planted that seed, it's to his glory too, right? For Jesus. He took part. So what part are you supposed to play? You know, as I think, there's kind of two takeaways here for me. You know, every time I preach, I always get to this moment where I'm like, you know, okay, great. Great story, so what? There's, there's these two things that just kind of resonate with me in this passage, even though it's so simple. The first is, do you know him? Like if you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ, maybe today was the first time you heard the gospel, or maybe you've heard it over and over and over, but something today clicked. It's not me, it's the same gospel. So for those of you who are here and maybe you don't know him and you're trying to, like I said, figure this out and maybe this made sense to you, maybe there's something tugging here, I'd encourage you to do some things. One, I want you to start, we're going to sing in in a minute, and I'd like you to start thinking about what brought you here. Because oftentimes I think if we can look back at the moments that God moved us in life to get us to the place that we are, we realize how valuable we are to him. And how much he truly loves us. Even in the midst of all of our hardships. The other thing that I'd like you to do is we're going to be doing something religious here in a minute. Similar to baptism, it's symbolic. We call it communion. Maybe you come from a tradition they call it the Eucharist. We take bread, we dip it in some juice. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice represents the blood that he spilled for us. And when we take it, we, we, we take communion here as an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. Because when we hear the word, we're not supposed to be the same ever. But the only way that we'll ever make the changes that are necessary is by coming to the foot of the cross. If you're here today and you're like, man, I want to respond in some way. Like I want to talk to somebody, I want to do this. I, the first thing I'd ask you is don't don't just walk up and, and fake something that's religious. If you're truly desiring to respond, the best thing, you, I mean, I'll be around, Pastor Matt will be around. Turn to the person next to you, say, hey, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, can, can I talk to you about him? I want to know more. It doesn't have to come from a pastor. But I love you enough to tell you this. If you don't know Jesus coming in and you leave here not knowing Jesus, nothing in your life is going to change. 
and your eternity is hell. That's not a popular message, but it's true. So come to him. Stop trusting in yourself. Start trusting in your creator. For those of you who are here and you say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower. I know what's going on. Um, Me and Jesus, we're homeboys. We're tight. How's the evangelism going? Like just thinking through. Is this story, as unique as it is with Philip, I don't believe it's all that unique. I think what happened in Samaria is really unique, but one-on-one evangelism? That should be a daily occurrence. (coughs) My hunch is that the Lord's constantly putting people in front of you that need to hear truth. And in wisdom, we build relationships, we build up to permission to present, We keep our ears open for what they might be saying so that we can kind of transition into what they really need. But we have to go into that intentionally. And so I guess my challenge for us as a church, as a Christ follower, is as we go into this week, are you really open to the opportunities that the Lord puts in front of you? Or will you make mistakes like me and blow it because you have other things to do? more important things to do. <laughs> ministry. I got other ministry to do. I can't do the ministry that you've called me to at the moment. Isn't that weird to think about? Um, he will use you. He wants to. Let him. So as we think through these things, I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to sing a couple of songs. The communion elements will be here for those of you who choose to respond that way. If you are a Christ follower, you are always invited to participate in communion with us. You don't have to be a member here. But I would encourage you to respond somehow. Don't leave here the same. Father, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that even though you've created all things, you care about each individual. It's humbling to think that the God of the universe would send somebody to speak to one person. Lord, we thank you for that love. We thank you that we matter. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, that you would regenerate their heart, even as I pray. Lord, they would come to a desire to know you personally. Lord, that you would change their life. You would move them from darkness to light. They would leave here in new birth. With a new understanding of purpose and a desire to glorify Jesus. Lord, for those of us who are here that know you, I thank you for the privilege that we have of getting to speak your truth to others. Lord, what a privilege it is. I pray we'd never forget that or neglect it. Lord, would you help our ears to be open to the the promptings of your spirit? Would you help our ears to be open to the things that people are saying, listening for opportunities? And Lord, would you give us the words and allow us to participate in you saving people? 
Lord, what an honor. I pray this church would be filled with those who just can't keep Jesus from the tip of their tongue. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen.